thanks very much first of all Simon it was a it's a pleasure to have you on I, I heard of you last week on the Just Fly podcast so with all the with all the walking and things we're doing now at the moment and trying to stay busy, there's a lot of podcasts going on. So <laughs> there's an awful lot going on. Mm, it's good to get the the minds fresh anyway and share some and ideas. And, so yeah, but there was a couple of things that resonated me uh, with me straight away is because we're actually working on a project ourselves at the moment uh, behind the mental performance for combat athletes. Okay. And there were some really interesting points that you brought up with, in particular with body language and that kind of like challenge and mastery approach to things you know and, yeah. and some really nice points there and um, so hopefully we can get a, a little bit more in depth in that today but do you want to just give a little bit of a, a background first to yourself for people who might be listening yeah absolutely so um i'm an nlp master practitioner and trainer um and i i came i became involved in nlp by mistake actually it wasn't something that i thought about when i was younger but what kind of happened was that when i was um when i'd left school um, I had ambitions of playing snooker professionally. Okay. Sadly, I was nowhere near good enough. <laughs> However, at the time, that all went aside and I thought, you know, this is what I'm going to do for, for a living. But what I didn't realise at the time was that I had a huge fear of failure. I had an even greater fear of other people's expectations, you know, what people thought of me as a, as a player. And I had no idea at the time how that, how that much that affected me. So I remember um, understanding that when I was playing on my own, nobody around, I was, I was literally the happiest person you could ever imagine. I used to practice at 7 a.m., set the balls up, door closed. Honestly, I was just in heaven. But then a few hours later when people came in and started to observe or maybe they became an opponent or I played in a competition, I was just a fraction of, what, of the player that I was just a few hours previously. And one day I spoke to my coach and I said to him, it's just the pressure. And he said, okay, tell me about the pressure. I have no idea what you mean. I thought, well, okay. I said, well, it's the, the fear of failure and the fear of other people's expectations. And he, I just remember so clearly, he just stopped and he paused and he looked at me and he said, look, so when you are playing on your own or when you are playing somebody else or somebody's just watching you, physically you're the same person and the cue's the same and the balls are the same and the table's the same. He said, you've created this. And I can't help you. You're going to have to sort this one out yourself. He's left me. And he left me with this frustration, perhaps a little bit of anger, but very, very confused. It's kind of like, well, what was all that about? What do I need to do? And then to cut a very long story short, I played in the first round qualifier of the UK Championship. I played against a player who, with all due respect to him, was... <laughs> wasn't great to say the least. And most people would, I think actually said he was, in their words, he was next to useless. And I lost this guy five nil. And I remember walking out the arena and putting my cue away and just labeling myself as somebody with no, with no courage, somebody with no bottle whatsoever. I put my cue away and I decided there and then that was the last time I will ever play any competition at all. And it wasn't until about 20 years later um, or actually 15 years later it was, when I was just in my kitchen, TV's on, there's background noise really, and the presenter mentions NLP. And inquisitively I thought, okay, what's NLP? So I Googled it, it came up with neuro-linguistic programming, which is a very long-winded name for something which is actually quite simple. Um, at the time it was a fairly new science and psychology, but the more I read, and you guys will know what I mean, when you just see something, you think, I've been looking for this. And I didn't know what it was, but it, it just almost like it found me. 
And there and then I signed up for a home study course. I then went to London for some intensive life training. And to cut an even longer story short, after, after I'd finished my, my practitioner course, I, I just thought I need more of this. So I became a master practitioner. I became a trainer of NLP. But I brought together, I think more importantly, I brought together a collection of psychological skills and techniques to create a system, which I called it's time to start winning. But as a result of the system, I've worked with GB athletes, both able-bodied and disabled, professional footballers. I've worked with golfers, tennis players, five world champions now. Um, I write for UK Tennis and I was included in the BBC documentary leading up to the, uh, the Rio Olympics. But that was kind of my background. That's where I am now. And I think because of where I was and what I've learned and how many people I've helped, I think it just fuels your enthusiasm virtually on a daily basis. Mm, that's fantastic. And I think it's especially, I think probably more so in individual sports, and that, that whole idea of the mental side of performance is something which people really underestimate. Like we've been talking to some athletes in our own sports, kind of doing like yeah. mini interviews and stuff. And the amount of actual specific training and, and time focused on the mental side of performances yeah. it, it's it's not where it should be yet everybody agrees very, yeah and, and and everybody yet agrees how important it is it, it's it's crazy really yeah it fascinates me it really yeah. does i kind of you know talk to people and we we would talk about so if it's you know your sport tennis or golf and they will completely understand that to get a golf swing does not happen in a weekend you know, it takes months and years of practice, same with, with any sport. Yet when it comes to the psychology, they want the result in 10 minutes. Mm. It doesn't work first time. They kind of go, well, you know, I gave it a go, but it just didn't work. <laughs> and so it's really kind of laying that out so people understand that you are perfecting your psychological part of your sport. It is so important because you know what it's like. You, I'm sure you guys know people who, are, who never fulfill their full potential. You know, they have it, you know they have it. But how frustrating is that? When you know they put the hours of dedication in, they do the right things. And when it comes to competition or grading, or whatever it may be, it just doesn't happen for them. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, it, and, it's, and the worst thing is, is that it can be dealt with and changes can be made. And that's the most frustrating thing. Um, and that's really why I've been sort of quite proactive, I think over the last sort of few weeks and for three months and saying that, you know, we're in this lockdown period, but let's make sure you come out of it a very different competitor mm. than that's that's it's a really great opportunity at the moment really isn't it yeah yeah absolutely i think myself and richie i think we compared it early in this to right it treat it like you're injured you know yeah. in, in a big way it's like well what would be the positive steps we'd prescribe to somebody if they were injured what do yeah. they still do to, to come out of it a better performer at the end of it and then obviously the the mental side of performance is the the one that jumps out it's like well okay there's nothing 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 stopping <laughs> you from, other yeah. than the the test retests side of things you know we can't quite do that right now no no absolutely absolutely but yeah you are you are absolutely right mm. yeah i think an interesting place where to start with really will be with that whole idea of body language and things and i've been like researching and reading up on this recently and, and even the idea i don't know how familiar you are with conor mcgregor but the idea of, of his his strut that he does into the ring the the billy yeah. strut he, he kind of uh kind of as uh, and just like how when I was listening to the podcast with yourself last week, it made so much sense in that like the the, the biological effects that that can have as well on your performance and yeah. your posture and things like that. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you're right. And the thing is, is that when I was saying that, you know, people want a change instantly, because that's that's what we all want. You know, we yeah. our computer doesn't fire up in 30 seconds. We think there's something wrong with it. You know, we're kind of brought up with this this instant gratification. So I, I say, OK, if you want a quick change, physiology is the fastest way of doing it, because I will absolutely guarantee you that if somebody's really not feeling it, then you can tell in their physiology straight away. And, and you see this, I mean, I was so, uh, you know, when I work with individual sports people, I will say to them, okay, when you, when you come out to, 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 for a challenge, for a competition, for a match, a fight, whatever it may be, what do you notice in your opponent? They say, I notice if they're really confident in a heartbeat. And how do you notice that? And they can't really explain it. But you and I already know that when someone comes out, tall, proud, shoulders back, head held high, every single thing they do is with purpose and and it's almost like they have a, a clarity which is, is is beyond perhaps something that most people can even comprehend mm-hmm. but i go back to a, a very quick story is that i, I kind of learned this from quite an early age so before I, I was involved in nlp i remember going to a seminar and we were told that we we're going to have a speaker and uh for, for the afternoon session fantastic so I was sat in the front row with this lady and this guy walked in, he walked through one door and walked through the other door and it was no more than 10 meters he walked. And that's all he did. He walked and he said, good, it's always a morning session because he said, good morning. And the lady next to me said, now there's a confident man. And I said, yeah, how did you know? And she said, I don't know, but he definitely is. I said, you're absolutely right. And about five years later, um, I actually met him when I was asked to do a talk in the North of England. And, and he was on stage as well. And a bit later on during the day, I said to him, I don't know if you remember us, but you did a talk for us in Scotland a, a few years ago. And he said, I remember it so well because I was having the most disastrous day. And I went, well, that's wow. interesting. I said, tell me about your disastrous day. He said, well, I'd only just landed in the UK. And unfortunately, the uh, airline had lost my luggage. And the hotel that I was staying at had double booked my room. So now I have no luggage and nowhere to stay. So with all due respect, I didn't really want to talk to you guys. And I said, but you looked so confident. And he said, well, of course, of course, I always look confident. And I said, so how do you do that? And he said, it's all in my physiology. I said, okay, tell me about that. He said, okay, before I come out, I make sure, he said, I have a rule. And the rule is that you get all of me or you get none of me. You never get 90%. You never even get 95. It's everything or nothing. And that's the only time I'll come out. And I kind of love that. I really like that. So I said to him, okay, what, what happens next? He said, okay, before I come out, I stand tall, proud, shoulders back, head held high, and every single step, every single gesture is one of certainty. He said, so was it the morning or the afternoon I came out? And I said, it was the morning. He said, in which case, I would have said, good morning. I said, that's exactly what you did. He said, I wouldn't come out and go, oh, yeah, nothing certain about that. It's good morning. And everything I do, everything I say is with total certainty. And I thought, now that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Because I know when I work with an athlete, if they're not really feeling it, if they're feeling some nerves and some tension, first thing we do is get this up, we get the shoulders back, we get them in the right posture. We might get them to smile. Perhaps even to break the state sometimes, might just say something quite funny, just to get them from that nervous energy to something else. And then we can start to build them up and get them into that challenge state. Um, you know, rather than the, the, the threat state. The threat state is all about kind of, you know, what you're going to lose. Um, it's about, you know, holding on for kind of like dear life. It's, it's about retreating 
Whereas the challenge states, and that's completely different. Mm. Challenge state is where you just go for it. It's kind of like, um, you know, bring on the obstacles. I will, t I will terrorize anyone that gets in my way. And it's all about attack. So people often say, okay, how do you go from, from that one? How do you go from this threat state to, to this challenge state? And it's actually very, very simple. There's a few ways of doing it, but the really, really fast way of doing it, in, in my experience with some of the people that I've worked with, um, I remember working with, I know this is outside of your, you, your sport, but there was a girl, she was a tennis player. And I said to her, and what happened was, is that she would, she'd be leading the match and she would lose when she was so far ahead. She just could not finish it. And she said, I just get so scared because it's almost like I've got this far. If I lose now, then what? You know, I've let myself down. It would be, it would be the feelings would be absolutely dreadful. And I said, okay, I said, I want you to put yourself in this situation. You are playing your match and your opponent is serving to stay in the match. Okay. What are you thinking? And without hesitation, she said, I am begging that my opponent double faults. And I said, okay. So in other words, you're not winning. She's losing. And she goes, I don't care. I just want to get this out of the way. So right, we, we, we need to change everything here. So what I got to do, I said to her, I want you to not only hope, but also almost make it an obligation that your opponent brings his or her A game. You don't want them. You don't want them turning up and being under par and you get through and you think, thank God that's over. That's, that's not what we, that's not what we train for. Mm -hmm. We train because we want to see how far people can push us. We want to win in the right way and we want to grow because when we grow, that's when we're at our happiest. So what I said to her was, before you even start this game, before you're just warming up, I want you to look at your opponent and say to yourself, you better be at your best today. I want you to push me like nobody else. I want you to test me like no one's asked before. Come on, whatever you throw at me, I will give it to you twice as much. Harder, faster, anything you want, bring it to me. Come on. See, now all of a sudden, she's looking at the, the obstacles. She's looking at the challenges. And she's going, I'm more than ready for them. I will completely obliterate them. So now she's gone from that kind of terrified state, that, that's, um, you know, retreating, so now it's all our attack. Now there's other ways of doing that, but there's a really fast way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's really good as well because obviously you can, you can pick up on the, the the cues that that it just switches. There's almost like a sense of freedom with that that she can yeah. go and express herself fully. And I yeah. guess like that that's a massive thing with uh, performance as well. The whole overthinking things, and obviously when yeah. she's overthinking about her opponent, she's not really focused on her own job, and she's overthinking and not slowing, you know. Yeah, get, really we get that with the, the pre-published draws as well, don't we? Uh, mm. Where, you know, so a person could three or four days before they arrive at the championships, they know who they're matched against. Yeah. And, yeah. and it starts them to thinking and, you know, you do your bit of analysis and you start mm. thinking. And the effect of that sometimes is, like you say, rather than the person thinking about, okay, I've got all of the tools I need for this match. I want, you know, I want the challenge of this. I want what this means. Yeah. They start to think, well, I hope they don't do what they did against so-and-so yeah. in that match. I, I hope they don't do it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it is. It's an incredible uh, just mental switch. Yeah. Do you, do you find, Adrian, that you get people who will look at the... I don't know if you have this in, in Taekwondo, but on a lot of sports, you'll, you'll look at, okay, if I beat him 
or her, it means I'm probably going to next fight will be this person. Yeah. And they, start, they almost take themselves to a semi or a quarter or even a final and say, I need to win this. this. So when they get to the first, their, their, their first fight, in their minds, they're already thinking about what would happen if I make to the final. And then, of course, when you think about that, then you have to sort of analyze the fact that, oh, if I lose this one, how bad is that going to feel? You know, because I'm, I'm thinking about the final a few hours ago, and now all of a sudden I could lose in my first fight. And then so, so the anxiety comes from, I think anxiety generally comes from two places. Number one, it comes from an event that has happened in the past. So if we have a, a couple of poor performances, we kind of live there. And then the other thing is we start to create a perception of something which may happen in the future. Whereas when we're grounded in the moment and, and can really stay in, in that state of taking that moment like it's the only moment in the whole world. I think that is when we completely change our mentality for everything. So then we have a much, much greater chance of getting rid of the anxiety and the nerves and the apprehension because what we're doing, we're grinding ourselves and we're saying what we are doing this very second is kind of like the only thing that matters in the whole world. It's like, this is it. So, so for, I know going outside of, of your sport again, so for golfers, I would say the shot that you're playing is the only shot you're going to play all day. Just imagine that's it. Once you've played it, that's it. So we can forget the score, we can forget the venue, we can forget the competition, what it means, all of those things. And we can focus purely on the performance rather than the result. Because mm -hmm. I think the result is the thing that really gets people. Because when we think about a result, at some level, we have to contemplate the chances, if there is a chance, but a chance, there's always a chance, but there's a chance of it not going well. So there's a failure. And we are already pre-programmed to avoid failure, which we, which we can look at if you want, but we don't need to. But we are pre-programmed to avoid failure. Yeah. Our, our, our emotional part of our brain will see a failure as a possibility of something which is life-threatening, which is clearly not going to happen. But that's why we get this incredible, you know, when people are being sick, they can't sleep and they can't eat and they're absolutely terrified. It's because this part of our brain, which thinks with emotion, is completely taking something, putting a spotlight on it, making it far, far bigger than what it really is in the hope that you will say, I can't do this anymore. And I'm going to retreat and I'll give this up and I'll just maybe get fit some other way. Or maybe I'll just go to training. I won't compete because that puts me in that nice, safe place where I can't possibly fail. And I don't know what, you know, your, your experiences of, of, of that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's certainly real. Um, and, and that resonates with a lot of people I, I know of personally, because that whole idea of just being in, in that like threat state constantly, you, your, your skills and everything that like, it's like what you said at the very beginning, when you're in training and you're flowing and everything feels natural, yeah. it, it's a complete conflict there. You know, you can't really yeah. bring that to the, to the forefront at all. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's something that's very, very um, prevalent in all sports. Yeah. I think yeah. that there's that very interesting challenge where it's like when you're overthinking, you can overthink it mm. either way and neither way is beneficial. So it's like yeah. you talked about the competitor where they're looking ahead to the semifinal and the final and in doing so lose their presence in the moment that matters, yeah. which is yeah. the first round. But we've also seen it with people who look to the next round and they go, oh, well, I, I won't beat that one anyway. And then they end up losing in the first round against the person that they yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, yeah. they've already adopted a negative mindset about Absolutely. and and you can't localize it. You can't say, I'll be negative in a while. <laughs> you know. So right. once you're adopting the, that mindset at all, it's going to pervade. It's going to be everywhere. 
of course. And yeah. I, th- I think it's actually a strong link as well to the whole idea of how people perceive other people's opinions and things like that. And I, I'm sure yeah. that comes from like a, an under underlying belief of what they a belief they have around failure or success or which Absolutely. probably comes from when they were younger or previous um like experience of some sort which gives it yeah. negative connotation and and it's so right it's so right Richie. The, the thing is is i think that um so so basically i, I created a model which I, i'll explain to you very very basically if that's okay it just no, might yes. help get people to understand because i think one of the big things that everyone understands is belief so we all understand we need to have belief, but it's kind of like, where do you get that? And, and how do I, you know, so I have, if I have a belief that I'm not good enough or I can't compete in the big championships or whatever that may be. So how do I even change that? So if I had to explain to you, say very, very quickly, how, how the model that I use works. So people, I think generally, it, or think that the, the situation is that, you will pick up information through one or more of your five senses. So you'll, you'll see something or you'll hear something or touch, smell or taste something. Whatever the information is, you will then create an emotion which is in line with what you've just experienced. Okay, so, so for you guys, it might be my opponent. I know how good this person is. I know that, you know, on paper, they're going to beat me. So you kind of see that and then you will create an emotion which is in line with what you've just seen. But here's the reality is that we're missing a piece and the piece we're missing is something which I call programs. So our programs are things like our beliefs, um, our decisions, experiences, attitudes and language. Language is incredibly important. So the way that we use language to describe a situation. So let me give an example of, of a real life situation. I think I used this on the podcast, actually. But there was a guy called Greg. And Greg is, was, was 16 years of age and he was a basketball player and he was just a natural. So at 15, I think he was like six foot three, credible eyeball coordination, very, very quick on his feet. I mean, he was just an absolute natural. Um, and he was by far the, the best uh, player of, of his age group in the county, possibly even the country. Um, and then he was offered to play for a, a national team. And the reason he went with the national team was because he had huge respect for the coach. In actual fact, he saw the coach as like an idol. So he just thought the coach was probably the best in the country, maybe one of the best in Europe. Which straight away, it's like, yeah, definitely, definitely want to play for you guys. So the first couple of matches went really, really well. And then they had, I think, three or four matches where no one played well, and Greg in particular. And he remembers that on the fourth match, he knew he had had a disaster. And his coach went marching up to him and he said he knew by the look on his face how utterly disgusted he was with Greg. And he said he came up to me with this really angry look and said something on the lines of, that was a disaster. You were useless. Any more of that and you're out. And he walked away. Now, when I, when I caught up with Greg, um, I said to him, okay, what happened? And he explained to me what happened because it was just awful. I said, no, 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 no. What happened after that? What did you do? He said, I got my kit, got showered, and I went home. I said, and then what happened? He said, and this is what we all do. Mm. He said, I went through it over and over in my mind. I said, what, would, what, what bits did you go over? He said, I, I looked at the look on his face, which was absolute anger and disgust. He told me, and he emphasized in his mind the worst bits, which was, you're useless, pathetic, and you might be out. You're useless, pathetic, you might be out. Angry face, and he just kept it over and over again. Now, the programs 
although we all have the same programs, the data in the programs is all vastly different for, for all of us. So we all have different beliefs, different attitudes, different experiences. But what was happening for Greg is that he was creating a belief that he was pathetic, he was useless, he wasn't good enough, and he will be out. So that belief program is starting to be filled by this absolute nonsense, which was a one-off event, basically. I mean, he played a few bad games, but this is a one-off event that his coach had, had really, really gone for him. And I said to him, okay, well, what we need to do is we need to change the belief. He said, okay, and how are we gonna do that? And I said, okay, number one, we have to remember the intention of what the coach meant, not what he said, but his intention was to somehow sort of snap Greg out of his current performance and get him to produce his best. He wants him to do that. He's his player. He wants his team to win. But he understood in, in the, the coach's reality of, of his world that by doing that, somehow Greg would just snap and it suddenly become the player that he wanted. But of course, that didn't work. So I said to him, okay, if that didn't work and his intention is to get you back to where you need to be, what should he have said? He said he should have come up to me, patted me on the back and said, listen, we win as a team, we lose as a team. We will get you back to where you need to be because form is temporary, but class is permanent. Okay, that's what we're going to do. He said, if he'd said that to me, that would, I'd have been amazed. He said, that would have really, really made me feel good. I said, okay, that's what he did do. So what we did, we got him to create a new movie in his mind of the coach doing that. Okay, now the fact is it does take some time. Because he had ground this, this old movie in his mind so many times, in actual fact, what we did was, was that when I, when I asked him to bring back the old movie with his coach being really angry, then we just changed the movie a little bit. So it was big and bright and colourful and loud. It was really, really kind of creating something quite incredible in his mind. So I said to him, every time you watch that movie, what does it do? He said, it makes me feel lousy. I said, well, if I went to see a film and it made me feel lousy, I could be excused for watching it once. If I went back and watched it 60 times a day, then I'm, there's something wrong. So stop watching the rubbish movie. We've got to change it. So we, we got him to kind of freeze frame the movie, take the color out of it, shrink it, turn it into something really, really small and just blow up in his mind. And he had to do that quite a few times. But by just by doing that, it started to just take the edge off that old belief. Then what we did, we brought in the new one. And the new movie was his coach coming up to him, giving him a pat on the back and saying, listen, we win as a team, we lose as a team, all of those things that he wanted. And we made this movie big, bright, colorful, and very, very loud. And we, we, we simply got him to replay that over and over and over again, as many times as he possibly could. And then what we got him to do is, that, is just go straight back onto the court when he was training or whatever he was. And as soon as he went on there to make sure he adopted that physiology of certainty, because this was important. I didn't want him to go, go in there with this new movie and then suddenly kind of sink. It's like, no, 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 tall, proud, shoulders back, head out, I attack it. So as soon as you go, so as soon as he went back to training, now all of a sudden he's attacking the opportunity and he's staying in the moment because he's not bringing the old stuff with him. He's not creating something in his mind which might happen. He's saying what I'm doing right now. So he's forgetting about the result. He's focusing on his performance, which is incredibly important. So every time he got the ball, he would then say, okay, the pass I'm playing, the basket I'm throwing, whatever it is, it's like the only thing I'm gonna do all day. And once I've done that, gone, history, bang, where am I now? The next thing is the only thing I'm gonna do all day. So we have kind of changed the belief and we did that with, with more ways than what I'm explaining, but at least that, that helped. Um, uh, and then we got him to focus being 
in that moment with a strong physiology and within three games everything has completely changed completely changed yeah, that's fantastic and it makes a lot of sense as well because you uh, a lot of time like you hear and when you read up but you hear like fake it till you make it and all this and yeah, i think yeah. it's it's misunderstood because yeah, it's rightly agree. as you brought up like you need that those underpinning foundational beliefs yeah. to be solid before you can use the things that are the quick fixes to, exactly. to kind of like to supplement all that good stuff like yeah. you know I yeah. think that people think you can just go in with those little tools and that's it. You don't have to do anything. But <laughs> yeah. that, that's probably why people don't uh, focus so much on the, the mental side of the game, I would imagine, because it does yeah, take, it does take yeah. work. Plus, it's, it, it has to be individual. And, yeah. you know, for coaches who are working, even as coaches have been in individual sport, we tend to be working with groups of athletes at the very, very least. And yeah. when you are looking yeah. at indiv- individualizing strategies for anything more than two, three people at a time, yeah. It's intensive work. Yeah. You, know, you, you, yeah. ha- you have to really go with the people who are receptive to it as well. You know? So, yeah. I mean, there are people who, like, the, the most terrifying thing for them is letting you know what they are thinking and feeling. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and for me as a coach, that's definitely the challenge. And that's the one where I look at and say, geez, the potential that person had, but I can't talk to them. They, they don't want to share or open up, or they don't want to give an opportunity yeah. to fix something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's like, uh, you know, the, all of the, the internet memes where, you know, your girlfriend tells you she's fine. <laughs> and there's the list of what <laughs> this means, you know. It's like, it's the last thing you want to hear from an athlete after a performance. I'm fine. Yeah. 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 Should there should be more yeah. to this, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, touching on that, there's something which, which I do. Um, and we, it started, we, we used to do this when there was a poor performance or, or at least a poor result. And what we used to do is to get people, as soon as it was, it was over, um, give them a little bit of time on their own, just get them to get their thoughts together. And then what we would do is get them to understand that success is a wonderful feeling, but a very poor teacher. You have to, you have to understand that failure is about learning. You see, if we win, it's a great feeling. But if we don't, we get the learnings, which are absolute gold. And we, you know, so many people say, I had a bad performance, didn't play well. I want to forget that and get on with the next one. I said, well, well, hold on a second. Let's get rid of the feelings, definitely. But let's not get rid of the learnings because they are so important. So we used to, or still do rather, and we do this with, with every performance, is get people to have a sheet of paper and say, okay, I want to write down all the ways we can make the next performance better. Not a way, but when you, or when you say to yourself, let's think of all of the ways, you, then you imply there are, there are more than one, and there always will be. So you write down all the ways of making the next performance better. And then what I suggest people do is include two, maximum three, but no more than that. So some people will write down 10, 15, or even 20 ways of making the next performance better, which is fantastic. But let's not just completely mess things up and try to throw everything at them. So we put maybe two, two ideas in place and then implement them, see what works, what doesn't. You know, we're kind of like being very mechanical about this, taking things out and putting things back. And this is in a psychological sense, but I'm sure it could be done in a, in a practical sense as well. Yeah. But what it allows them to, to do is to understand that, um, you know, we have, to, we have to fail and learn in order to, to succeed at those very, very high levels. It's so important. I mean, there was a, a friend of mine um, who rode for um, Great Britain um, in the Olympics, in the Sydney Olympics. And they went on to actually win a, win a gold medal. And his, his name's Lewis Attrell, and he doesn't live that far from me. And the great thing about Lewis is that he tells me some things that the, the GB squad were doing at the time. 
Um, and he said that it was um, Steve Redgrave. So Steve Redgrave, he said, took all of the guys um, uh, probably a few months before they, they went to Australia and said to them, right, okay, guys, what I want to know is who is in, in, the, in that training, um, training arena, who's giving 100% all the time? And no one put their hand up. He said, right, thank you so much. He said, I want to thank you for being so honest, but that has to change. And the sort of people going, well, that's just not possible. You know, if we're training for four or five hours a day, you cannot, or whatever, however long that was, you cannot give 100% all the time. It's going to dip and it's going to come up and it's going to dip. He said, okay, this is what you're going to do. He said, when you are ready to die for your country, you step in. But when you feel that you're not quite there, you step out. So when people are outside, everyone has a role to play, which is to build each other up and say, we are fighting for a gold medal. When you go in there, you are ready to die. You are ready to collapse. And I think you might have even seen this with the rowing team. I mean, literally, these guys are collapsing yeah. on the rowing machines. I mean, it's just absolutely intense. But he did say to me, he said, when we, when we were lining up for the Olympic final, so I just remember that we'd all done that. And he said, although Australia were the, the overwhelming favourites, he said, I remember looking at them thinking, but you guys haven't trained like we have. You just haven't. And he said, it's almost like that had that ripple effect on everybody in the boat. And he said, and, and we went on and won. He said, but it was absolutely incredible. So it's, it's an interesting concept that, you know, when you're training and saying, I always say to, to you know, my, my boys here and to everyone I work with, whatever you're doing, make sure you give it everything you've got. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. You could be driving the car, you'd be talking to your friend, you could, you know, could be doing anything. If you get into the mindset, you give everything you can, then it means that that becomes part of your, your DNA, becomes a part of you. So you haven't got to go to training and all of a sudden be the guy or the, or the, or the girl that just gives everything. But then when you step out of that, it's like, oh, let it all go. It's like, no, 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 this becomes an automatic response. This becomes a habit, it becomes who you are. And the amount you will achieve, not just in your sport, but everything in your life as a result of that habit is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, a lot, that's where confidence will really come from as well, that the whole idea of sh showing up consistently with, with a relatively good challenge uh, against yeah. your training and things like that. And then you'll start to see that evidence of, of where you can build confidence on the action, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's like you said, having, having those things behind you to, put, to push you and say, you know you can do it is, is massive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just kind of on, on the whole idea of that work ethic again, I think, um, would, would you consider that that's one of the only things you truly have control of when it comes to performance? We say well, work ethic and yeah. mindset. Yeah, do you know what? I think that what, when I always talk to people, so I have um, a little diagram called, uh, it's called the cycle for success. So there's lots of variations on this, but what it works on is that if you can imagine like a clock face. So where the 12 would be, it says state. Where the three would be, it says energy. Six is actions and nine is results. So I'm sure people have seen something like this, but it basically works on, on the fact that um, I'll, I'll just give you two, two examples of how this works. I think it's easy with stories, actually, sometimes yeah. to explain it. So um, many moons ago, at least 20 years ago, um, I was asked to play in a five-a-side football match. Now, I know, it's more than a belief, I know I am possibly the worst footballer on the planet. I mean, I'm rubbish beyond belief. So I, I just don't play. But this guy said to me, no, it'd be fun. It'll be fun. And he taught me around. And I said, oh, by the way, who are we playing? And he explained to me the opposition. And these guys are not there to have fun. 
they are there to win, end of. And I knew the other four guys I was playing with, and they're exactly the same. And I thought, I am the weak link. So I went in with a state of apprehension and nerves and anxiety, which meant that I tapped into virtually no energy at all. You know when you get really nervous? I mean, so apprehensive, you just feel that you've just lost all your energy. And that's exactly where I was. Because I lacked energy, my actions were appalling which gave me a predictable poor result, which reinforced my state, but this is something to be anxious about. Mm. Now, the complete opposite is, um, so one of, one of my sons, I have, I have four boys, one of them is, is nine years old, and he has unlimited enthusiasm for just about anything and everything. And uh, my wife and I asked him if he'd like to run in the local, it's the Isle of Wight Cross Country Championships. And without hesitation, he said, yeah, 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 it'd be fantastic, can't wait, let's go. Sunday morning we went there, he's bouncing up and down with excitement, he just can't wait. So his state is one of excitement and joy and happiness, which meant that he tapped into a huge amount of positive energy, which meant that his actions were as good as they could possibly be, which gave us actually a surprisingly good result, because Rowan is, 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 is a trier, he'd go at everything, but he's not, he's not a particularly great runner. But his result was much better than we thought, which reinforced his state that this is something to be really excited about. So people always say, okay, I've got four things to think about. I've got this state, my energy, my actions, and my results. No, 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 no. That's the beauty with this. Because if you put your focus and your attention on your state and your actions, so your state is what I teach, your actions, what you know you guys work with, then it means your energy and most importantly, your results will just take care of themselves. Because if you think about it in terms of, if you could say to yourself, okay, am I 100% confident that I can go into this event and give it everything I've got? Am I 100% confident I can do that? And people would say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm confident I can do that. Fine, that's all I wanna know right now. If you're 100% confident that you can give it everything you've got, that means that if you're not in charge of the result, if you're only in charge of your own performance, then surely that means you can go into the event with 100% confidence. And if you go in with 100% confidence, then you increase your, increase your chances of a good result or a favorable result dramatically. So by taking the result out of it, focusing on your performance, focusing on your state increases your chances of success enormously. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's very interesting, that whole idea of how it all kind of, it's, a, it's just a cycle, isn't it? And then you notice yeah. how, how it, it's just a continuous cycle of it reverts back to the like you know if one thing affects another but then that yeah. goes back and it's a ripple effect to the original thing again you know what i mean it's just it's all tied together and connected yeah it does yeah absolutely and that, that's why it's like a circle so it just leads to the other so there, there was another story behind that which was um many years ago in the uh, commonwealth games it was um there was a swimming event so it's a hundred meter freestyle and the two overwhelming uh, favourites for this was an English guy and an Australian again. And um, there was nothing in it. I mean, no one knew who was going to win this race. And what happened was, is that the English guy won. Uh, and then there was a big media presence afterwards to, to, to interview them. And the, the guy, uh, I can't think who he's from, BBC Sport, I think, said to him, OK, first question, how did you cope with the pressure? And the English guy just unscrewed his bottle of water and had a sip and he said, uh, pressure, I've no idea what you mean. And then they all sort of laughed. <laughs> Brilliant. And then he said, well, 
you know, how much pressure do you want? He said, you know, this is this is the Commonwealth Games. It's against your arch rival. You've been training for at least two years. Huge media presence. Big fan. I mean, what, how much pressure do you need? And the guy stopped and he said, right. He said, the thing is, he said, my focus wasn't on that. My focus was on the fact that I had to swim two lengths of that pool as fast as I possibly could. And that's what I did today. He said, I won today, but maybe if we race tomorrow, my Australian friend might, might beat me. I don't know. But I, I just did the bit that was in my control. Mm. And I thought, genius. Now, for a media point of view, it's disaster. Because, you know, where do you go from there? Oh, but, but is it, though? I mean, I, like, you really want that, um, uh, that, that little bit of authenticity, don't you? I mean, if you're like... You know what? For us, it's, it's just gold, isn't it? Yeah, the soundbite is what you expect to get as the media correspondent because it almost writes your article for you. You know, yeah. but when yeah, someone yeah. comes back with something like that, you actually have to do a bit of introspection. Come on, come on. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh no, I have work to do this evening. What am I going to say about that phrase? <laughs> but for me, I, it, that actually re- links really well to something that we talk about a lot and we say a lot and it's the old proverb of, you know, this too shall pass that, you know, um, he's in that moment and he, he said to himself, well, yet I, I'm, I'm standing here I'm with the gold around my neck at the moment. I'm enjoying the moment. That's great. Yeah. But if it happens tomorrow, the other guy might win. So yeah, he's yeah. not hung up on the fact that he's won and that he's the champion and that he's the Commonwealth Games champion. He's just a guy who swam real fast that day. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and there's, that's very freeing as well. Most definitely, isn't it? Yeah. You're absolutely right, because we, we kind of like pull down with this expectation. You know, people sort of say, I, I remember reading an article, um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, the snooker player, um, and he said after he won his first title, it's like the monkey was off the back. He said all of a sudden it was kind of like, oh, I won one, great, I've got my name on the trophy, now I'm free, I went on to win another four. And you think, how many people are like that? It's kind of like trying to win that first one, but once you do that, then, then it, it just happens. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there's so, so many times when people haven't performed as well as they should have done because of that. And I think as well, the, the people that are in, the, in, in a different mindset coming to it, when they win that first one, just like you said, maybe mm. they feel like, okay, I've reached it. That's it, I'm done. And then yeah. they're kind of struggling for that motivation to go ahead and do something again. Whereas yeah. if, if like mastery and, and perfection, that which doesn't exist, is the goal. Like you're chasing something that doesn't exist and you're, you're keep pushing, <laughs> keep pushing, keep pushing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it always comes back to that thing of fulfilling your true potential. So that's a different level for absolutely everybody. But when you can do that, and I think the only way you can do that is to, to work consistently on the psychological part of your, of your, your sport, as obviously as well as the, the physical part. But I think the only way to do it is to be able to... I remember watching a, a, an interview with um, Martina Navratilova, a tennis player, um, and she said... She goes, and they said, you know, did you find that you won matches before you even started? She goes, all, virtually all my matches were won before I'd started. Because, you know, she was a physical presence. You know, yeah. she was an athlete. I mean, goodness me. I mean, she's phenomenal. The I think that wasn't the norm. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> you look at it now and you think, you know, in the comparison, it's almost like she was playing housewives. <laughs> it was just, you won't, you won't compete against other athletes. But they said, was there any other time, was there ever a time when you know you didn't sort of do the humiliation part of you right you know you you would instead of you intimidating did anyone ever intimidate you and she goes only once and she said and that was Steffi Graf and they said well Steffi Graf was like 16 years of age you know she's a she's a schoolgirl. so how does she do that she said because when we just hit him my normal technique was to just stare at them and all she did was stare back and then just start hit them back at me. And I thought, well, that's not the plan. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to show some signs that, you know, you, you, are, you are shrinking. But she didn't. And she goes, and it completely threw me off. And I thought, that's amazing for a young kid, 16, to look at her and go, 
and 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 maybe it's because she was only 16 maybe that was it nothing to lose absolutely yeah yeah completely but it was fascinating to watch it really was and maybe that's the best way of describing that mindset of you know if if there was no consequences beyond the the day you know if there wasn't the build-up if there wasn't the preamble if there wasn't whatever how would you play and how would you behave and you know and sometimes we see that sometimes with people who've just turned senior and in their first senior event they get that superb performance or in their first junior outing because well yeah i have nothing to lose here this is just me yeah against the world let's see what happens and that that challenge as state as you said it's the adventure uh you know and and people react well to that adventure sometimes yeah absolutely yeah and i think you find that in all sports don't you if you you know people will say or say okay they've had you know a season where it's gone particularly well but the test is always the following one you know to see if you can match or surpass that and i think that's when we've really got to understand that it's all about the performance because you know when we can see our performance grow um then you know happiness i think inside as a person outside of sport but when we are growing and developing that's when we're at our happiest because i'm sure you guys will understand this is that if you win but you didn't play well didn't perform well it's just not the same. The fact that you can perform at your best and know that you crushed that performance and got the victory, the feeling is absolutely phenomenal. It's just overwhelming. You don't quite get that if you know that you've kind of won sort of through default or you didn't perform or a little bit of luck went your way or whatever that may be. Mm. Yeah, so we're nearly out of time. So I'll just uh, maybe give two questions to maybe hopefully tie it all together, Simon. Okay. Um, so just absolutely delighted that you were able to have a chat with us uh, thanks very much first of all it's been a pleasure thank you yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was very good i'm after taking a lot from it and it, it kind of reinstates a lot of things that as well which is important you know and so absolutely very good uh, one of the questions is if, if there was one thing that you could give to an athlete every athlete that you see and you could just give them one thing what would that be to improve their their mental performance okay i i would actually say it would be <laughs> Can I put two things? With bedrooms. The physiology is number one because Mm. you've got nothing without that. You have to have that physiology. And I think the understanding of how to load these programs is absolutely vital. And if you can really get those two things, then it is a complete game changer. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. And it kind of links up as well to the second question of like what skills and things would coaches need to kind of facilitate this idea of having mentally strong athletes yeah so i think first of all to understand that there needs to be time for that psychological development because i think very often people sort of to see that as secondary and i, I know that, oh, clearly you guys are different and i get that but most places that i visit will say okay so we can we can include a little bit if you could do maybe you know a, a few notes for somebody it's almost like it's very secondary we, we do that when we've got time but i think when you understand the value of it and understand that by, re- by, by somebody really adopting it and, and creating that, um, I, I hate to use the word mastery, but it is mastery. But when you, when you get something and you practice it so often, it becomes part of you, then it has such a profound difference or, 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 or change on your performance. And I think that's when coaches would really understand how important it is. Because this, this idea of, you know, some people don't have the bottle, they don't have what it takes, it infuriates me. Because I look at it this way, I say that if you've got an injury, 
I'm no doctor. I can't tell you if you're ever going to get over there or how that's going to you know, affect your performance. But if you have a bad performance or you lack in belief, that can always be changed. End of. That is absolutely guaranteed. You can change. And when people really get that, then I think that two things happen. Is that the one that you know, coaches get more from their players and probably more importantly, that the players fulfill their, their true potential. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, it's very important. I think the whole idea of what you're saying is when people become aware of it, they can almost incorporate it into their everyday sessions and start to build that belief and relationship that's needed to kind of to get you where yeah. you want to be. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Brilliant, fantastic. I think that's a nice way to, to wrap it all together, Simon. Um, so thank you very much. I want to just ask uh, if Simon... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, Simon, if, you, if there's anywhere that we can uh, direct people to uh, maybe check out what you're doing and find out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've got a Facebook group called Sports Psychology Made Easy. Um, my book's out, which is called It's Time to Start Winning. It's available on Amazon as a Kindle, paperback um, or an audio version. Um, or my website is www.simoncapon.co.uk, although that is being updated shortly. But it at least to give you an idea of what's on there. Fantastic. Fantastic. Brilliant. Great. Yeah, so thanks very much for your time, Simon. Yeah, we really, really appreciate Thank you it. So much. Great talking to you guys. It really has been fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Good Thank evening. you so much. Cool. Well, right. Look after yourself. Thank, Thank you. you. You take care. Thank you. Thanks, Cheers. Simon. Bye bye.